This episode of Warp Five is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com/trekfm. And also by TrekFan. TrekFan isn't just a Star Trek fan club; it's a challenge. You will explore new places, learn new things, and collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles, complete real-life mission objectives, and win great prizes. And in the spirit of an enlightened future, TrekFan is absolutely free—not just free to play, but completely free. Find out more by visiting fm.trekfan.org. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. How we doing, Trip? Ready when you are. Prepare for war. Course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp Five, our dedicated Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and joining me this week, back after a bit of a hiatus here on the show, is Tyler Johnson. Tyler, welcome back to the NX01. Thanks, Chris. I'm excited to be here again. It's been uh, too long. It has been too long. Now we did have you on the Ready Room just this past week, and that was great. But I'm glad you're back here with me to talk Enterprise, because like me, you're a big Enterprise fan. Yeah, I had to warm up for the big leagues. So I went, I did the, the show, you know, a lot of people get to do. Now here we are to talk about the real good stuff. <laughs> That's right. Kidding. I love the ready room. <laughs> well, today we're going to talk about connections between Enterprise and the rest of the Star Trek franchise. Uh, characters and themes and objects and ships or whatever it is that appear in Enterprise that we know from elsewhere. And... Tyler, you suggested this topic, and we were thinking about how to approach this. And it seems the best approach, I think, will be the obvious things, the subtle things, what we think worked and what didn't, and some Easter eggs in there at the end. So, since you picked the topic today, what's the first obvious connection between Enterprise and the rest of Star Trek that you want to throw out there? Oh boy! Well, I think if you're going to go for for the big ones first. Um, just that's the sort of founding of the Federation, I think, is the mm-hmm. big through line. But f- also from more of a minutia standpoint, I mean, you can watch Enterprise and not have seen any of these other shows, obviously, right? And you can follow it just fine. But if you know what your, if you've seen the other shows, you've seen the other movies, and they bring the Andorians out or the Tellurides, and you know that those are races that are going to be part of that Federation at point, some point, that's really fun, I think. Yeah, that's also an element of Enterprise that I really enjoy, although it's also one that I was going to file under didn't work so well for me. Mm. The reason being is that we didn't get there. Like it was there, it was being gradually set up. And if we had gone seven seasons, I think it would have played out really nicely. But instead, we get that sort of jump in time at the end of the fourth season. And I wanted to see a little bit more of the actual founding of the Federation, kind of like what we get in Christopher L. Bennett's new Rise of the Federation novels, where we're seeing the Andorians and the humans and the Tellarites working together and merging their fleets and merging their militaries and their scientific organizations and all that. That's what I really wanted to see with respect to the founding of the Federation. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I think... um I, part of me was just geeking out on all these, uh, you know, races that were mentioned or were in one yeah. episode, you know, that you, you, we at least got to flesh out a little bit more. That's true. If you watch, I, I like in Demons where they have the conference and you see all these aliens that you don't recognize at the table. Mm-hmm. If you start going and digging into that, like go to Memory Alpha and dig into it, and you find that a number of them are named, at least in the script they're named, and they are aliens mentioned in the original series that we didn't really see or their look has changed or 
or such, and that they are also being brought in. Uh, often they're people who are mentioned just by name, but we never saw Yeah, them. and that's actually, that's kind of the reason why I thought this was kind of a cool idea for a show, because there are so many little things that are dropped that you could miss so easily. And uh, yeah, that, that's really cool. So for me, the the two obvious ones, I'm going to throw these out there now because I don't really want to talk about them in any depth because we do it so often on the show here. Vulcans and Andorians. And with the Vulcans, what I like is the connections that they made to what I consider a fairly unknown race in Star Trek. I mean, yeah, Spock is famous, but we didn't know much about Vulcans before Enterprise. And so they connected that and they fleshed it out. But then Andorians. Andorians are fascinating to me because they are this race that really only appeared uh, primarily in Journey to Babel. That's where we really know them best. And yet they became so incredibly famous that when they appeared in the Andorian incident, you're cheering like, yes, Andorians are back. But it's not like the Andorians had (laughs) been there so often. You see, like you see one in the Federation Council scene in the Voyage Home. You know, you, you see a few here and there, but very rare. So I was really pleased to see that connection. And I think that they they fleshed them out into a, a real and interesting race. Yeah. And you know, we did a full hour on this before, so you can go back and look at some previous Warp Five. They're out there to be there are that episodes out there to be found. And um, you know, you saw you talked about Vulcans. I, I think we mm-hmm, should save that definitely. for a future episode too. So what else do you have? Do you have any other major things that you want to cover? Yeah, I have one other one other big one. I I don't know if this really counts as major or not. But the other one that I I thought was kind of cool was uh, the whole augment arc and everything that goes along with that. Okay, I thought about that. I'm curious to know what you think about it. Uh, We've done a show on that as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of on the fence about it. Like, I think it's cool. And then sometimes not as much. I don't I'm kind of. (laughs) I won't say I'm neutral on it, though. I think I'm more pro-augment arc than I am not. It's funny. I think I liked the episodes they were in, and I, but I didn't actually like the, the fact that they were in them, if that makes any sense. I, I thought it was really cool that, that you know they brought them back in a way, um, but the, 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 them actually being in the episodes didn't work as well as the plots of those episodes, forgetting everything, everything else we knew about them did. Yeah. Well, it felt like... Using them to explain, well, and it's not even, it's, these are not even the same episodes and I often get them mixed up here, but they do, one grows out of the other. Having the augment project, that program and having that blood be used later to explain the Klingon forehead mm-hmm. bit is something that I felt we didn't necessarily need mm-hmm. to go to. Mm-hmm. But I think that connecting seeing and data and the augment project and all together was kind of an interesting little thread that you can follow through mm-hmm. as you move from uh, Enterprise all the way through the next generation. I just, yeah, the Nunyan Singh thing, or not, it's not Nunyan, which Singh is he? There's so many Singhs now. Um, he, it's a little, that one's, that part's a little bit in the nose for Assume, me. Assume, I should Assume, have said. Did I say seeing? Uh, yeah, yeah. Assume. I know, you yeah. always get tongue twisted. Right? Um, but I, that one's a little on the nose for me. I feel like it would have been almost more interesting if he was the, you know, there's somebody doing the augments and he was the person sweeping up the shop. But he was the real, I don't know, yeah. something, because it just felt like a little too neat. But um, yeah, that's a yeah, big one where they that. tried to, I mean, they're pulling the threads of everything together in that one to me. Well, it almost felt like we want to bring somebody else in. Uh, William Shatner coming in, that didn't work out. You know, it was something that mm-hmm. almost happened. Let's get Brent Spiner and let's find a story that might make sense. That's not too obvious, but could make some sense as to why Brent Spiner would be the person in here and why he would look this way. And uh, he did such a great job in the episodes that for me, that redeems any shortcomings of the concept in the first place. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. Which is, I actually yeah. loved the episodes they were in, but I kind of thought it was weird the way everything got connected. If you, if you pull back and tried to think about all the other things that went on, mm-hmm. didn't enjoy it quite as much, but I, I love the, every one of those episodes I loved on their own. For anyone who, before we go ahead here, you mentioned we did an Andorian episode. I just let everyone know that's episode 25. So if you want to go back and catch that, you can. And on this topic here, dealing with the augments, go back to Warp 510. And we actually did the augment arc there. So you can get all into that as well. So any more major ones for you 
here. Um, my major wins really were going to be about um, the one you mentioned, the Federation, and then Vulcans and Andorians. Yeah, the only other, I mean, obviously the other big one is the ships, and I, I think that's kind of been covered as well here, which is, you know, how the NX-01 eventually sort of starts to look like some of the other iterations of the yeah. Enterprise later. And that would have made more sense if the series had continued and we had gotten Doug Drexler's refit moving forward right. it, with the secondary hull and everything. Yeah, exactly. So that's I think that's you know it's basically the the races, the Federation, and and the uh, the ship to me are the, are the yeah. big ones, um, and to, to a lesser extent, a couple of the characters who you know we've never really heard of before necessarily, but then now are these legendary characters uh, sort of retconned, right? Right. Sure. Well, you mentioned ships, so mm-hmm. let's go into subtle connections here. And one of the subtle connections that I've listed is the USS Defiant, which was lost in the Tholian web and resurfaces in In a Mirror Darkly. Ooh, that's a that's good one. That's one where everyone recognizes the ship, of course, Constitution-class starship. Mm-hmm. Those not familiar with the original series might not really make the connection that that story is actually a continuation of the Tholian web. What happened to the ship? Where did it go? The ship's gone. Well, we find out it was actually pulled through to this mirror universe, and now it's being dissected for its technology. Yeah, that's a fun one. I I, I knew that, but when I was coming up with my list, that didn't even come to mind. And that's I think that's better than any of them I have. I think we're done. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a really good one. I, 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 you know, almost forgotten about that. That's great. I'm not a big fan of those episodes, the Mirror Universe episodes mm-hmm. on Enterprise. Uh, we've done a show on that as well. Uh, I think here and on the Ready Room. And uh, the reason I don't like them as much, I was, we were just actually having this discussion on the forums at Trek.fm slash forums today, in fact, mm-hmm. about the Mirror Universe had nothing to do with prepping for this show. And as, as, as I was saying there... The problem I have with them really is that the story doesn't go anywhere and it just feels like complete fan service. Uh, Let's just go play in TOS threads for two episodes. And I know that the general fan view of these episodes and the media as well is that they're the two best episodes of Enterprise. But for me, not so much. But it was a clever way of connecting Enterprise with TOS by uh, having the Defiant be in there. Yeah, it's hard not to get into the other parts. Like all these things that we're touching on, I almost want to dive mm-hmm. into the other argument that we've already had before. <laughs> so right, we'll probably right. stay away from that. But I agree. The fact that, that you know, they sort of closed that loop on a previous previous episode, I think it's really, mm-hmm. really cool. And, and, you know, exactly what I want a show like this to be doing. What about you? Subtle connections. Um, Let me think what else I had here. So um, I have one that I, I don't like as much but i think is kind of interesting when they brought the nazis back and this is a little bit more sort of inside baseball they brought the nazis back and this is a different whole different uh way of approaching them after the um you know the the full zindi season arc then all of a sudden we're dropped back into that and there's you know maybe some issues with that maybe some people like it but the fact that they had been in so many other shows before (laughs) that they literally were pulling footage from voyager to help flesh out that episode, <laughs> I think it's sort yeah. of like it's a it's an Easter egg and it's a theme and it's also literally pulling out of another show. <laughs> so the Easter egg is the footage itself that's pulled out of Voyager. So yeah. what what should we be looking for when we want to see the actual footage from Voyager? Oh boy, I'm trying to remember. I think it's just something blowing up, right? It's a they're blowing up a, a building. Oh, okay, it's been a little while since I've seen it. I just remember seeing that, and going, "Wait a minute!" <laughs> but it's. It's it's something that would cost a lot to do. So if you can pull it in, then yeah. If, you know. if I remember, I mean, they're watching it on a screen. I'm trying. I'm, I'm if I yeah. recreate this in my mind, I'm going to turn it into something bigger. <laughs> but I, they're watching it on a screen. It's no Mutara Nebula, right? right. It's no um, regular <laughs> space station, but it is something that's reused there a little bit. Yeah, yeah. The Nazi thing gets me going generally because. It's such an overused element in science fiction, not just Star Trek, but, you know, alternative history science fiction, of course. Naturally, you're going to go there. And you've got Patterns of Force on the original series. And then you've got, of course, the uh, killing game with the Herogen on Voyager, where you've got Nazis. And 
I actually think I rolled my eyes when we got to uh, Stormfront and when they come down and when they, they come back down, they're not getting a signal. They take the shuttle down to San Francisco mm-hmm. and then the, uh, the airplanes come and you find out it's Nazis. Right. I thought like, wow, this is a very weird and unusual twist that they've gone back in time, but it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, Nazis. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not really like so much a continuity thing, although there is that sort of Easter yeah. egg element like I talked about, but it's, yeah. it is it is just a theme. <laughs> like They pulled this well, theme out. Well, it definitely out. has yeah. a connection because they've done it so many times, right? right? Yeah, so. well, you could even say time was, travel to a certain extent too. Like, oh, they're time traveling again. Okay. Yeah, but time travel is much more flexible. You can do a lot with time travel. Right. Nazis are very, very specific. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is what you're going to do. But it but it does have a connection because they've done it so many times. Yeah. And yeah. Okay, well, let's see. Subtle connections for me. This is one I love. And uh, we've done a show about this as well. It's Warp 532, which I did with Michael Fisher. But these are the Organians being on Enterprise in the episode Observer Effect. The Organians, of course, are the ones who put into place the treaty, the Organian treaty that prevents the Federation and the Klingons from fighting in the original series from the episode Air into Mercy. And they turn up on Enterprise, of all places, and you never would have expected it. And the way they do it, it's so subtle that if you're not paying attention, it's easy for you to not even realize that these are the Organians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I like I like that one too because they that's another one of those. And I actually have a couple other races that just showed up, right? And you go, oh, mm-hmm. I've seen these guys before, and you, it really makes it feel like you're living in a real universe instead of, uh, you know, creature of the week movie or something. Well, in the case of the Organians, what was really cool is that they showed sort of an internal struggle within Organian society and beliefs mm-hmm. in the 22nd century that clearly gets resolved by the 23rd century. And what we see in Aaron and Mercy when they seem to be unified in their view mm-hmm. of uh, peaceful coexistence. Because in the 22nd century, they're actually basically doing experiments on people to see how they react to things. And they're killing many, many, many alien, different races, alien to them. And and they change a lot. So very sneaky way there. What are some of these aliens that you have pulled out, though, as subtle ones? One of the other ones I liked it was that they brought back the Nausicans. Oh, yeah. I thought that was kind of a good callback. I mean, um, that, you know, they're, they're always have been used very threateningly, especially in TNG, mm-hmm. um, as, you know, guys that liking to get into bar fights and stab people. <laughs> yeah. All that kind of stuff. So I kind of like seeing them again. We did hobbies of the NX01 crew mm-hmm. as a show on here. We didn't include Domjot with Nazikans, though. <laughs> <laughs> what were you thinking? Human played Domjot? <laughs> Yeah, and actually that's another one because they, they kind of gave them a little bit more color than they've had before uh, yeah. in, in other versions, which is sort of a theme of what they did with a lot of these alien races. You thought you knew everything about them, but here's a whole other side. Okay, Nausicans, that's a great one. I actually had forgotten about them as I was making my list. What else uh, do you have uh, in races here? I liked that they brought back the Axenor. Mm-hmm. I thought that was another good one. I, I'm trying to remember. Like, I almost want to just make a quick list off the top of my head of everybody that they brought back, and it's it would probably be a whole show unto itself. But that was that was another one that I enjoyed. For those who don't remember the Axonar, because they really are, I feel like fairly obscure. Uh, they're mentioned now. Of course, there's the Battle of Axonar, which is mentioned, which Alec Peters and and many others are making. Right, Alec is producing and playing the role of Garth of Izar in Prelude to Axanar, which the trailer is out now, and also the full Axanar film. That comes from Who Gods Destroy. And also Kirk, he he participated in a peace mission to Axanar and received the palm leaf of Axanar peace mission, um, which is like an award that they they receive in the 23rd century. So the Axanar are mentioned there, but then we actually meet Axanar in Enterprise. Yeah, and I think that's, I, I, I was thinking about them as sort of representative as a lot of aliens. We heard their name once in a previous, mm-hmm. or we heard the name of their planet as someplace they went, yeah. and they would intentionally pull them in and you'd actually mm-hmm. get to meet them in person because they'd never actually been, you know, they were never on screen before Enterprise. 
Exactly. And Enterprise, they did a really good job, the writers did, especially when you get to... Now, Axanar, that's early on, that's first season with um, Fight or Flight, but they especially did a good job in the fourth season when they brought in Manny Koto and you had Judith and Garfield Reeve Stevens there as well, and they really, really know all those fine details about the original series. They did a great job of pulling in people like that. Yeah, I think it gets underrated, the the level of thought that goes into some of these. I think some people watch TV shows and go, ah, oh, they just sort of wrote it over the weekend. And, and uh, you know, then it came out and it was great. But I think there's a lot more going on than that. And there's a lot of thought that goes into, I mean, even the names of, of characters or species. And, you know, in, in the case of Enterprise, they had so much canon to draw on at this point. That I'm really glad to see they actually use that. You know, I think one of the races that you mentioned a moment ago or you were thinking of where they bring races back and then they we either ne- never saw them or they look completely different are the Corridans because you see them at the table at the conference in uh, Demons. Right. And there's a Corridanite ambassador there. And they they are the people who, if you remember in Journey to Babel, the whole conference was about whether or not Corridan should be accepted into the Federation. Yeah. Yeah. And actually that wasn't the one I was thinking of, but they all, there's another one. I think we could uh, probably come there's up with 10 one. more pretty, pretty quickly. Maybe we should do a show like obscure alien races of enterprise. Yeah. And what we want them to there do. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Cause we always like to think about what would have happened in, you know, the future seasons five, six and seven. So <laughs> exactly. Okay. Put that on the editorial calendar. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. Do you have any other subtle connections besides alien races here? Um, you know, I think I think the only other big one is um, sort of names, and and this also could almost be a whole show of you know planets. Uh, Archer Four comes to mind, where yeah, they, they've they've you know just they visit some place in Enterprise that later is has been mentioned in the other shows. You know, even though the script were obviously written before, or the other way around, where you've got um, you, you know, someplace where it it's the first time I've ever been there, and then they were there in a later mm-hmm. in a later series. Well, Archer Four is a big one. I mean, it's subtle; it's very subtle, but it's a big one in that in yesterday's Enterprise, that's where the Enterprise D was going. They were headed to Archer Four, right? And I almost wonder. I don't know this for sure if they named Archer specifically for that reason or just realized that later, if it was a happy accident, you know, uh, down the road. You mean named um, Captain Archer the character Archer? Yeah. Or the planet? I don't think it had to do with the captain's name, but I do think that the planet, and the planet we're talking about is actually the planet that they land on in Strange New World, beginning of season one. And I don't, it's not called Archer 4 in the episode, I don't believe. I think it's been sort of retconned oh. later that that's Archer Four. Hmm. Maybe maybe I, I think maybe in home read, they bring you know, it I read up too much into like that, that. <laughs> and sort of hear everyone talk about it. Yeah, I've heard everybody talk about it. And just <laughs> no, it is the same the planet though. Head. Yeah, it is the same planet. Yeah. When they arrive there in Strange New World, and I could be wrong. I have to go back and watch the episode. I don't think they actually refer to it as Archer Four. So I think it's actually named that because Archer visited the planet. That's that's how I took it anyway. And I maybe I'm completely wrong in that. So the the other obscure not obscure, I'm not good, I'm not going to Easter eggs quite yet. The other subtle connection, because a lot of fans recognized this one for sure, is that we get to see a Salite in the Forge, the Vulcan animal that many Vulcan children keep as pets, but which are also wild and can be deadly. And that comes from the animated series episode yesteryear, where Spock had a Salite pet as a child. And for everyone who doesn't consider the the animated <laughs> series canon, which is 99.9% of all Star Trek fans, and I believe maybe even Gene Roddenberry himself, I believe I've heard, yesteryear is the one episode that kind of has become canon because elements of it have been borrowed for so many other parts of Star Trek. And the Salite became very, very famous. And when I saw that Salite on screen in the Forge, I actually cheered. I was like, yes, there's an actual Salite in canon on the screen, live action. Yeah, I like that one too. And it's funny, I remember watching some of the animated series when I was a kid and even thinking it was weird then. 
And I've gone back and tried to, and that was the only episode I remembered. And I went back and tried to watch it again. And it's the only episode I remember still. <laughs> Seems to be the only episode anyone remembers. Right. <laughs> and it was, it's a good episode. I mean, it really is a good It is a good, good episode. Yeah. It's, it's a, yeah. It, it, you know, forget the fact of everybody else's concerns about it and the weird animation, all that. It's, it's a good episode. Yeah. It's a good story. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. And, and honestly, the most that they'd shown of Vulcan, you know, almost ever until Enterprise. Pri- prior to Enterprise. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. for sure. All right. So those are our obvious connections, subtle connections. And we've kind of talked about what worked and what didn't, at least about those as we went along. Easter eggs. These are always fun. I pulled out a few. As we were talking before the show, it sounds like you may have a few that I did not spot or I I didn't list anyway. So let's find out. What's the first Easter egg that you have? Okay. This, This is an easy one. It's from the first episode. It's from Broken Bow, and uh, I, hopefully a lot of other people will get this as well, but we'll see. So when they're naming off the admirals that they're going, you know, that are mm. that are present for the launch, I guess, um, mm-hmm. it is uh, Admirals Forrest, Williams, and Leonard, which are obviously references to the Forrest Kelly and mm-hmm. uh, the other two main characters of TOS. So at, right. at least the actors' names, William Shatner and, and Leonard Nimoy. So um, that's a big one. And I think, and you can actually, that's I, that's also my stand-in for 500 other times they did that in the, in the series. <laughs> <laughs> but that one, was, that one was cool. It was a nice homage to the original series of using those names. Yeah, I really like that one in particular. And, uh, you know, it's obvious enough that a casual fan might pick it up. While we're on the topic of the original series, I'll throw out this one. If you remember in Charlie X, this was, of course, it was just a writing thing because they hadn't figured out yet what Starfleet was or what they were going to call uh, the, the organization. And so Kirk sends a report to the United Earth Space Probe Agency. And then I believe later he's, he, t- well, he tells Captain Christopher that we are a combined service, right? In, Tomorrow is yesterday. And Mm -hmm. in Enterprise, they address this by actually having in demons when they come in. I'm really on a demons kick today, aren't I? It's like everything, everything in (laughs) Hollywood comes back to Kevin Bacon. Everything in Enterprise and Star Trek comes back to demons, I guess. So when they go into the conference room, there's the, the seal on the floor. And if you read it, it actually says United Earth Space Probe Agency on it. And this meeting of all of these delegates, this conference that's taking place, is being overseen by the United Earth Space Probe Agency and Starfleet jointly. So they're establishing here that there actually were, at some point in time in the 22nd century, these two different organizations, which eventually in Star Trek become just Starfleet. We just needed two more seasons, Chris. I could have seen it all happen. (laughs) We would have seen the merger. Yeah, those two. Consolidation in the government, you know, merging the agencies. I think that's a great example. That's one of my favorite things is that, you know, the people who make the sets uh, really end up getting to think about this stuff and they get to do some fun stuff that maybe you only can see on the Blu-ray or that you can only see if you, you know, if you yeah. really spend some time and, and are going to rewatch. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of really small examples, but I think that's a really good one. What other Easter egg do you have? So this is, I don't know if this is an Easter egg as much as just something to watch out for that I think was was interesting. So um, during season two of Enterprise filming, um, Nemesis came out, right? And a mm-hmm. big theatrical release, big budget, certainly compared to a TV show. And then through the rest of the series, if you watch carefully, you'll see props and uniforms show back up from <laughs> Nemesis. <laughs> Captain's yeah, chair is yeah. here, you know, a uniform there. Um, but if you watch, you know, if you watch Nemesis and then go back and watch some of the later seasons, you'll see a bunch of things crop up, you know, some of which are really redone and some of which look exactly like they did on the big screen. You know, speaking of props from Nemesis or things from Nemesis, one that was not reused, but I almost thought was, was the Nakul. Or I should say the Remans, because mm-hmm. when we first see the alien, and we talked about Nazis earlier, mm-hmm. and he comes out of the shadows, mm-hmm. 
I yelled, what the hell is a Riemann doing <laughs> on Earth in World War II? Right. And all summer I'm thinking, what, what, is there some connection here with the Riemanns? And then we come back and we find out, oh no, it's a completely different race. Yeah, they just the happen to look an awful lot like something that just came from a big, big budget movie. Yeah. <laughs> Total coincidence. Right. <laughs> exactly. Very similar, especially when you just saw mm-hmm. that, that just that one quick reveal. Right. In the yeah, exactly. Partial yeah, that's not, not exactly an Easter egg, but totally what everybody thought at the time. <laughs> right. Okay. So other people, you thought that too when you saw it the first time? I'm not alone? Yeah, it's almost okay. the opposite. It's like a history lesson. Like people now might go, oh, of course nobody ever thought that. But, you know, you go back to then and it's it's very front of mind when right. you're seeing that happen. I really thought so when I saw it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, sticking with the original series here, this is really a little bitty Easter egg. This is like the Easter egg that is in the Voyager episode, Future's End, when you go inside the observatory and on Rain Robinson's desk, there is a Tolosian action figure Mm -hmm. sitting on her desk from the cage. It's almost like that. In Dead Stop, when Archer is in Travis's quarters, you can actually see a model of the Nomad space probe from the Changeling. But it's actually the probe that was launched that then merged and became a Nomad Mm -hmm. in Travis's quarters. He actually has the model of the ship right there. I don't think I've ever noticed that. This is what I asked for at the beginning. I wanted (laughs) you to surprise me with something. That's a really good one. I like that. Um, I'm now going to have to go back and and it was in Dead Spot, right? You said? In Dead Stop. Yeah, we'll um, if, I, if I remember correctly, the scene is, I think it's after Travis has disappeared and Archer is in his quarters mm-hmm. looking around. I think Archer gets a call on the intercom system mm-hmm. and there are like shelves nearby and you, you can see it there. Oh, that's a fun one. I like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I have one that is a little more, um, this is along the lines of uh, a lot of fans might know this. If you if you watch the screens carefully, you see the number 47 a lot on all the series. Oh, yeah. So this is kind of along those lines. But um, in Cold Station 12, and during the Augment arc, there's a scene where they show um, in the laboratory, they've got a, a, a like a long, two red glowing tubes, right? Um, they kind of look like uh, uh, what's, 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 like fluorescent light bulbs that are red. Apparently that same prop has just been everywhere. It's um, once you once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's been DS DS9, it's been in Voyager, it's been TNG, and it originated, of course, in Wrath of Khan, which is where the augments that's closing that circle. So it was a nice little mm-hmm. you know set dressing thing to do um, to throw in there, and really really subtle. But again, once you see it, you just see it pop up all over the place once you've seen it once. That's cool. Like you said, in this case, using it sort of is closing the circle, right? Right. Coming from the Wrath of Khan to the Augments. And I don't know if it's literally the same prop or if they just kind of have this thing like, oh, there's a technique we can do. We can throw one of those together in 10 minutes and it'll make the, yeah. you know, whatever set we're using a little cooler. Um, yeah. But again, you know, once those set dressers do that a couple of times, sometimes I think it's fun to keep doing it. And I think this is one of those cases. Let's play a game. Who will recognize what this is? Yeah. They should have giveaways. CBS should do giveaways if you can figure out like what this prop is. You can get like a free DVD set or something or a Blu-ray set. Well, and sometimes you don't want someone to tell you because <laughs> it ruins it. You know, you see some of those old sci-fi movies and once you see it, you're like, oh, that's an egg carton. And that's it. <laughs> Here's all the pieces they use to throw that together. And as long as you don't stop and try and pick it apart, you don't necessarily see it. Sure. Okay, well, let's see. I've got a couple from... DS9, TNG DS9 time period here with Cardassians. Mm-hmm. There is a Cardassian in the server rack, as I call it, in Dead Stop, where they put Travis to help run the station, that mysterious little space station that they land on, mm-hmm. or that they dock with anyway for repairs. Um, if you watch, and it's easier to see on the Blu ray version, as they're panning through and you see all the different aliens uh different people that they have kidnapped and put in here there is a cardassian in the rack isn't there also one in mirror darkly well that's the next one here oh um, i jumped in, ahead sorry you jumped ahead <laughs> but it's a little bit different in in a mirror darkly flox is dissecting a cardassian vole or at least it looks like a cardassian vole yeah that's the one i was thinking of when you first started saying it so uh, mm-hmm. yeah i forgot about the other one too God, there's so many little things. 
And I don't know, maybe that's a case too of like reusing a prop. Like what do we have lying around that's an animal that can be dissected? Well, we have all these Cardassian voles from <laughs> DS9. I'm just imagining warehouses of, you know, uh, uh, dummies with makeup on that they <laughs> use for different things and weird props. Yeah. And I think it, it, would, well, it would be a dream of mine to get to go just run around some Hollywood prop warehouses oh, yeah. and see what they have. Definitely. It would have been funny if the vole had had racing stripes and a number painted on it from Cork and Morn's vole. <laughs> vole, vole fighting, I guess is what right. they were doing actually, right? Not vole racing. Right. Though vole racing would have been really cool, like down down the promenade. Right. Yeah, this, this is a little <laughs> off topic, but uh, for a quick Game of Thrones talk, apparently they got in trouble because they had a bunch of George Bush heads that they found oh, in a really? prop warehouse and they stuck them all uh-huh. in pikes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> And then somebody spotted it. They didn't care that it was him. They just grabbed a bunch of heads. It was like in the background of a scene It was in the background like and that. they put okay. blood on them and they stuck them on a pike. And then people took it as a big political point they were making. So, uh, you know, you never yeah, know where well, some I of the stuff comes that. from. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see. Do you have any other Easter eggs? I have one other. I think this is more of a, a geek fact than an Easter egg. But um, uh, I do know who Chef was. And I think you oh, do, okay. too. Um, was he future guy? <laughs> yeah, but Chef and future guy <laughs> were the same guy. Um, and I think you also at one, one point claimed that it was also uh, a Lost character, right? Oh, Jacob. Yeah, Jacob. Yeah. They're all one person. No, the, um, right. the, there was one shot where you actually got to see Chef. And you got to see only his arm. And uh, okay. it was a longtime stand-in actor who used to stand in for Riker's character. Um, was, got to play. The, he was the only time you saw Chef on screen. After all that buildup. I see. And who is it? What's his name? I have it written down here. Richard Sarstead? Yeah. I don't think there's any reason okay. you would know who he was. You may have seen him in the background of some scenes and, you know, they have him go stand in mm-hmm. when they're doing lighting so the actors can go off and drink mimosas or whatever they do all day. Well, that's in the great tradition of the original series where so many of the characters that we saw were stand-ins for Shatner in particular, but mm-hmm. for other characters, and they would get on screen and play different roles that needed to be played. Yeah, I love that. I love the sort of behind the scenes stories that come with that. This particular one I just like because, you know, Chef was supposed to be a big mystery that nobody knew who right. it was. And so you kind of yeah. got to, you know, all right, well, it's maybe not the most satisfying answer to who it was, but there was somebody who played <laughs> Chef on screen. <laughs> well, hey, Chef, like we said, Chef, Future Guy, and Jacob, they are all one. If you're playing all three, you're busy. I mean, you got to run from set yeah. to set. You don't have time to exactly. stay in frame and in focus. That's right. Well, those are those are all the big Easter eggs anyway that I pulled out for today's show. We got to save some for the future shows. Yeah, I think that's I think that's enough for me for today. We do, you know, however many we would list today, we're going to come up with five new ones if we're talking about a particular episode next week or or whenever that might be. I have to go back and rewatch the entire series. The last time I watched Enterprise straight through, the Blu-rays were maybe just just coming out. Uh, it was when we launched the show, I watched the series straight through again. And I think I actually watched it off of Netflix. So it was better than my DVD copies, but it wasn't the 1080p mm-hmm. Blu-rays that we have now. And uh, I need to go through and watch the entire series again. And just watch for Easter eggs. That's what I was thinking, too, when you brought up the the whole Nomad Travis connection. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't own a spinning disc player of any type, so I can't go get Blu-rays. But they're pretty cheap now. So maybe it's time for me to go get, you know, Blu-ray player and, and then, yeah, you know, you need to go go get some of those seasons and watch them. Because I, I just love all the behind the scenes stuff and I have to go find it other places. Um, and it's just so nice to be able to see it, you know in that full glorious resolution and with the great sound and everything. Yeah. You should pick up a player because yeah, like with DVDs, I'm done. Mm -hmm. I don't buy DVDs. I haven't bought them in years, but Blu-rays are worth having physical media again. They're, they're they're really worth it. So you should pick up a player and the players are cheap now as well. Yeah. So I, I think it might, I think you finally gave me my motivation to go out and get one again. I was so happy when I scrapped my DVD player a while back, but I think I'm ready to dive back in. <laughs> All right, so there we go. Major connections, subtle connections, Easter eggs, uh, what we like, what we didn't. Anything else? Um, final thoughts? Any other element that we didn't mention that you really like? Anything else that uh, maybe 
didn't quite connect with you? You know, I, it's a double-edged sword. It's it's kind of a fan service thing to do. Um, but I feel like the more it's done to make the people who are making the show happy, the more it made me happy. And so a lot of these seem to come from true fandom to me, which I just really like. It, you know, the, mm-hmm. it's that whole thing where Stan Lee shows up in every movie now. And you know what's going to happen. He's going to have his one line, and I completely get taken out of it. Um, that's one thing. But it's completely different from, like you said, if you watch carefully in the background, you're going to see something that is really cool and that reminds you that you you know makes it feel like you're living in a real universe. So I I like all the stuff that they did along this line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tons of subtle stuff. I mean, the fact that Archer was the first president of the Federation comes from text written on the screen in In a Mirror Darkly that Hoshi and Archer are reading together when they look up his file. Yeah, exactly. That's one of those things, you know, you watch Netflix, it's hard to pause and read anything. This is the other reason I was thinking about the, the you know, Blu-rays. That's that's the other thing. When I, I watch a lot of Star Trek on Netflix, but when I'm watching to take notes, I always put in my DVDs or my Blu-rays so I can pause and rewind because buffering is a real headache. Mm-hmm. I don't want to rewind when I'm I'm on Netflix. Well, the last thing I'll throw out there just to wrap up is um, not really a subtle connection and that's Sirach. you know he's the most famous philosopher in vulcan history Mm -hmm. Uh, his teachings are the basis of the vulcans that we know later on and i really like the way that they brought him back and actually used it as sort of a course correction for how they had been portraying vulcans which is you know upset so many fans up to that point but i don't really see it as a course correction i see it as really making Vulcan history more real in saying that there were these teachings, they were lost. As a people, we lost our way. We've rediscovered this. And now we're going to be evolving back into what you're accustomed to with us. So bringing Surak back, who we first learned about in the Savage Curtain in the original series, was a nice connection. I think I think that, and then they also threw in the fact that he was in Archer's head, which is a nice mm-hmm. movie connection, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. If you're just like McCoy having Spock in his head. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, Tyler, thanks for sitting in with me today here on the show and talking about these connections. And I hope you'll come back sooner this time. Don't don't make it so long before you're back. I'm in. Let's do it, buddy. When do you want to do it? <laughs> Let's schedule it right now. Let's do it on the air. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, well, we'll try to line up something for next week then. Perfect. That'd be great. All right. So uh, before I let you go, tell everyone where they can find you if they want to uh, keep up with what you're doing and chat Enterprise or Star Trek with you. Yeah, well, I wouldn't recommend anyone keeping up with what I'm doing since I'm doing a lot of work <laughs> right now. But if you want to reach out to me and say hi, uh, Twitter is the way to do it. You can find me at Flintastic. That's F-L-Y-N-T-T-A-S-T-I-C. Um, I'm happy to say that uh, I've done two Trek FM shows in the last couple of weeks. So hopefully you can find me here on Warp 5. We're trying to schedule for next week, it sounds like. and. Uh, you know, maybe on some of the other shows like The Ready Room. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thanks again, Tyler. Thanks, Chris. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed our discussion today about Enterprise and its connections to the rest of the franchise and those Easter eggs as well. But this isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network over the past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. I mean, like, like it's, it's been talked about, you know, by Shatner that he's like, oh, I wanted to have the Enterprise find God or something like that. Well, how does that work? Well, right. You know, and it's like, well, it doesn't work the way you're doing it in this movie. Earl Grey. What if it was like a geeky tween boy? Data, Data, where are you? <laughs> They're just like, shut that off. <laughs> Mr. Data, I've got a problem. The Ready Room. When they finally do get rid of Decker, it's on Kirk's personal authority as captain of the Enterprise. And like, it seems to me if you're, say, a captain in the U.S. Navy and an admiral takes command of your ship, you can't just like get rid of him because of your personal authority as captain of the ship. The orb. And, and again, it's, it's something as, you know, as we said before, the system is not set up to allow him to express that idea in any other way. But by the spectacle of this trial, which would presumably be impossible to hide, it is a way for him to express this alternate viewpoint that maybe the, the morality of his society is uh, is under threat. To the journey! We are here to talk to you about 
a very heavy-handed topic. This is kind of a dark area for us. No, I'm just kidding. We're talking about death and Voyager. Commentary, Trek stars. When they fall out the pod people, and they say, why, what year is it? And Data says, why, it's the Earth year 2364. I fell off my chair 47 <laughs> times. It's like, they just put the, oh, my, okay, okay. Warp 5. Archer doesn't close himself off to any possibility. He takes the evidence and comes to the best choice that he can. And that's not always easy for anyone, but that's the kind of person that Degra is too. Melodic Treks. In fact, it had two versions of the theme, one which ran from seasons one to three, and one which ran from season four onwards. Now, some people prefer the first music with the poignancy of the lone trumpet, others for the second incarnation. Continuing mission. If we were to sort of able to rewrite the canon, the uniforms we've got, they were the uniforms in the middle of Enterprise and TOS. But because they were designed during a time when peace wasn't as prosperous as it is in the original series, the uniforms did have a bit more of a militaristic look to them. Literary treks. You know what I love about comics, though, sometimes, is... What happened here in this panel with Beverly and Troy, clearly Troy's stunt double wandered into the scene. I was going to say, is that Troy? (laughs) And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can get them pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, BlackBerry, Spreaker Swell. We're also on SoundCloud. We're all over the place, so just search for Trek.fm or the name of the show that you'd like to listen to, and you'll find us there. And a great way to sample all of these shows is to subscribe to the Trek.fm Complete Master Feed. That's a single feed that contains every episode of every show we do. It's a really great way to find out what all the other hosts are talking about. Now, if iTunes is your choice for podcasts, be sure to drop by our artist section while you're there in the store and uncover some of our past content. We have almost a thousand episodes on the network now. Lots of great interviews, episode discussions, uh, special topics and character analyses. Lots of stuff for you to find there. The quickest way to get there is to go to iTunes.com slash TrekFM in your browser, and that will open right up in your iTunes application. And while you're there, if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a star rating and a written review. We love to hear from you, and it also helps other Enterprise fans find Warp 5 as they're looking around in the iTunes store. Now, I would love to chat with you about today's show and about Enterprise. If you'd like to find me, you can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can also find me on Facebook with that same username. Just tack that onto the end of Facebook.com. I believe that's how it works. And you can find me anywhere in social media, really, with that username. But those are the two places where it's the best to catch me. And I really like chatting on Twitter. Now, you can find the network on Twitter as well. Our username is TrekFM. A lot of us tweet from that account, and we sign our names with our initials. So mine is CJ. You'll also see other people tacking initials onto tweets there. The network is on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. We're on Google Plus where we have a community. Just search G Plus communities for trek.fm and you'll find us there. We also have forums on our website at trek.fm slash forums. Contact form is at trek.fm slash contact and that'll come to me by email. And you can even send us a voicemail if you look in the sidebar on the left hand of the show page. You'll see a widget for that, and I'd love to hear your voice and hear what you think about today's show. Before I let you go, I would like to tell you about our sponsors for today's show. First, there's Audible.com, the best source for audiobooks that you'll find anywhere. They have over 150,000 titles for you to choose from right now, and they put hundreds of new titles on the site every single week. They have current releases and bestsellers, of course. They have a lot of famous Star Trek books also. They have a lot of great science fiction novels as well which have never been in audio format before because they actually created their own studio to bring in narrators and to bring to life some of the classics of SF. So go check out everything they have to offer. And as a Trek FM listener, we have a great deal for you. You can get a free audiobook of your choice along with the trial and just see how great Audible is. There's really nothing to lose because if at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, you get to keep that free book. 
but by trying out Audible, you'll really be helping us out here at Warp 5. If just one of you tries Audible, the money we receive from them almost covers the cost of hosting and distributing the show for an entire month, so it's a huge help for us. All you need to do is to go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and give it a try. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. I know you're going to love it. I love it so much. I've been with them for 14 years, so trust me, go try it. We really thank Audible for their support of Warp 5 and the network. There's also Trek Fan. Trek Fan is a Star Trek fan club, but it's not just an ordinary Star Trek fan club. It's a challenge. At Trek Fan, you'll explore new places and learn new things, and you'll collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles and complete real-life mission objectives. They have lots of things for you to do over there, and some of the popular things are flight operations, engineering, and communications. These are Trek Fan qualifications that they do. And in fact, Samuel Cummings of Livonia, Michigan, just got his technician license thanks to the program. And also Teresa Watkins of Atlanta just got her flight operations challenge taken care of a couple of weeks ago. And these are regular Star Trek fans, just like you and me, who are doing amazing things thanks to Trek Fan. And these are just some of the things they have for you over there. So go check it out at fm.trekfan.org. Again, that's fm.trekfan.org. And that's a special URL that lets them know that you heard about it here on Warp 5 and the network. So please do use that URL. And the best thing about TrekFan is it's absolutely free, free to join. So go try it today. Take your love for Star Trek and and be challenged and do great things at fm.trekfan.org. And we really thank TrekFan for their support of the show as well. One more place I'd like to point you to is Andrew Allen's album, Smooth Federation. If you like this jazz cover of Where My Heart Will Take Me that we play here on the show, you're going to love Andrew's album. He has this, plus nine other jazz renditions of music from across Star Trek, all in this great smooth jazz style. So go pick it up today in iTunes or on Amazon. It's a great album. I know you'll love it. And really, really great stuff there from Andrew. Well, thanks to Tyler for sitting in with me today here on the NXO One and talking about the connections of the series with the rest of the franchise. I hope you enjoyed it, and I really appreciate you listening, and I hope you'll join me again next week here in the Decon Chamber for another episode of Warp 5. <laughs> 